be relatively comfortable. Take a moment to scan your body as you're sitting upright. Uh, and just see what, what needs to be put in alignment or adjusted or relaxed in order to support the uprightness and the sense of the ease that we want to encourage simultaneously. When you've adjusted your posture and you're feeling relatively at ease, please let your awareness come into your body to begin to establish an embodied awareness. as if your awareness could saturate your body or sense, feel, become aware of the totality of the physicality that is sitting here. And you may notice there's some accumulate, accumulated tension from the day or the week or the month or the year. And as best you can to relax or relax around it or let there be a sense of ease as you become very spacious even with allowing the tension. And as you sense your body sitting here, please 
Notice if there's any heat or coolness or a sense of heaviness or lightness. Anything that helps allow you to become closer to yourself, to what's sitting here, to the somatic, kinesthetic, energetic aliveness that is sitting here right now. And as you settle into your body and the aliveness that's sitting here, please be aware of the fact that the body is breathing. Aware of the, aware of our life's breath which we need at every moment to be alive. And as you relax or settle here, please notice if there's any emotions or feelings, mood, sadness or happiness or fear or a sense of joy or anger and make room for whatever's here. We want to encourage a very open, accepting awareness here tonight. We don't have to make anything perfect happen or, or arise in the meditation. We want to be aware of the aliveness that's sitting here in all its forms, whether it's the body or different sensations of the body or the comfortability or uncomfortability of the body. Or if there's some feeling of 
delight or apprehension or excitement or some bigger state, wonder or curiosity or feeling like you're sitting in the unknown, not knowing what's gonna happen. Please let yourself stay very present and open here tonight. Staying embodied with whatever is here. Not judging what's here or not having to make what's here be perfect or the right thing. But really being open to being present with, aware of the various phenomena that appear for human beings and that's appearing for you right now. Sometimes there's a lot of thinking that's happening, thoughts, ideas, memories, plans, especially at this time of the coronavirus, a lot of us have been ruminating about what's happening, what's gonna happen, what we're doing, what we should be doing. And those are always important reflections. But we can also be aware of the process of thought, of reflection, of rumination. We don't have to be simply enchanted by it all the time. We also want to include the basis of what's here, the fundamental reality of awareness, of what's aware of body or heart or mind, what's aware of our sensations or our breath or our feelings or our moods or our plans or our ideas or our beliefs. without having to stop anything or fix anything or get something or get rid of something, we can start to rest in the space of who and what we are, of awareness itself.
And as we begin to relax or rest in the space of awareness, you'll notice it's actually a very kind, warm, loving awareness that's here. Even the impulse to meditate comes from the heart, from the hope, wish, desire, intention to discover the truth of who and what we are and to begin to rest in the truth that we all intuit about who and what we are. And of course, noticing if we have any reactions to any of our experience, whether it's physical or emotional or mental or beyond. Including the reaction of liking or not liking, the wanting or not wanting to be known and resting in that which knows, which is not bound to what's being known.
as the meditation continues, please stay very open to being right here. Right now. With this moment. As we continue to relax or rest in the awareness itself, the knowing itself. Awareness is, as we would say these days, organic, inherent, doing itself. Resting in the consciousness that knows all the good, bad, like, don't like, want, don't want of each moment. And not having to be bound to our ideas or beliefs or judgments about any of it. Resting in our Buddha nature.
Again, good to see you all. The form that we're using these days is a half hour set, half hour talk, half hour discussion. I'll try to keep my talk to half an hour, although it may go a little longer than that tonight. We'll see. Um, uh, yeah, I, I thought I would start with a quote that I've used often over the years from Dogen, who said, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to awaken or to become intimate with all things. And I felt like using that quote tonight because of where we are and what's happening and what I'm going to talk about. And um, I was just, I looked in the calendar earlier and it's been about uh, over a month now we've been really talking about coronavirus every week that uh, Pam and I gave a talk and I gave a couple talks and then Pam gave a talk and Carol uh, was here last week and gave a talk. And, um, and I think it's really important that we keep practicing with whatever's here because this is our life. And our life for most of us is okay may not be great, may not be perfect, but it's good enough. And uh, I don't know how many of you are ill with coronavirus. I mean, you could kind of raise your hands on this, on the shared, on the participant screen, which would be interesting to know, because I don't know. I know a few people who have coronavirus. I don't know a lot, but I do see, I look at the news enough to see how horrible this is and how tragic it is and how serious it is and how, in my opinion, we're going to be dealing with it for quite a while. And so um, we want to really deal with the, the um, reality of this. And also, it's not the only reality that's here. And part of what it means to practice is to practice with the big picture of reality. And so it means practicing with coronavirus and practicing with what's not coronavirus, right? And so there was a request. Somebody made a request that I give a talk about the judging mind. And so I thought, sure, I'll give a talk about the judging mind because probably all your self-judgment has not gone away because of coronavirus. Is that accurate? Right? I mean, it's, and in some ways, sometimes it could even be worse. I don't know, but I'm going to give a talk about the judging mind. I'm going to try to weave in a little bit about coronavirus because it's part of our reality and it's part of what might, um, it, what part of what might uh, bring um, certain kind of judgments that of ourselves and of others because we're all dealing with this. And so 
I'll give some context about the judging mind, which is an aspect of ourself, right? To study the what Buddha way is to study the self. Like if you grow up, if you're a human being, you, you'll have some kind of judging mind that'll get inculcated by being a, a human being. And especially in our in the culture of the United States of America, which I don't assume everybody's from, but that most of us are from, that's a very important way that people learn how to become people. And so, but what, what's difficult is the judging mind starts to get internalized as a critic and as what's called in psychology, the superego. And I'll explain that more in a few minutes. But, but it's really the mind that condemns, criticizes, commands, attacks, pushes us around. And it, didn't, it wasn't taught to us so that that would happen. It was taught to us to help us learn how to become a human being when we were 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 15, 20, right? How, how to navigate the world so that physically we were okay, for, so that emotionally we're okay, so that mentally we were okay, so that we could navigate the human world. And it's, uh, it's really one of the things that's difficult is this, um, this um, the guidance that our parents or friends or community or teachers oriented was to try to help us. And it did help us, but we took it in at a very young age when we were very impressionable. And so those became very strong words, ideas, beliefs. And uh, really the judging mind is one of the more, most pervasive areas of interest, psychic suffering that people have is that we judge ourselves harshly, meanly, uh, in a demeaning way, in a, in, a, in, a, in a way that doesn't feel good, that hurtful for us. And, um, and of course, we judge others too. If you've noticed, you may have judged other people at times. And we all do that, you know, and we all think that's normal. And it's, it's, it is, it's not normal to judge. It's a way, it's the use of a certain kind of discernment and reflection that has a judgment woven into it. Maybe that's the best way to say it. Right? Because without the judging mind, we just get to be here. Right? We, we get to be exactly who we are without feeling bad about who we are or what we are or what we do. Right? And so, so it's very helpful to begin to learn the, about the judging mind, which of course is woven with the comparing mind to some degree. And it's important to see what do we understand about it and how can we disengage from it and what happens if it ends, even for an hour or a half a day or a year or the rest of your life. And so in psychology, I've done this before, I'll do it again. There's a way that Freud talked about the psychic structure of what it is to be human. 
And what he pointed at was there was a big circle he drew, which was the ego, right? And every one of us has an ego. We need to have an ego. It's an important part of human development is the development of our ego. And within the ego is a little circle he drew, which is the id, which are the instinctual energies and primordial energies, which is part of being who we are, an animal. And, and here, like all animals, have that instinctual primordial, primordial energy to, to survive and to be uh, social and to be intimate, you know, with others. And um, all those primordial energies are, are inside the big ego circle that Freud drew, drew, meaning the ego is there to help contain them in a certain way. And then on top of the ego, he drew a little circle, and that little circle was called the superego. And the superego is really what we're working with, with the judging mind. That's the mind that discerns what's, what helps the ego survive. What helps the ego continue? What allows the ego to be safe? And as a child, that's important. You want to develop an ego structure. That's, it's not so healthy if you don't develop one. But the problem is, is we keep thinking we need this superego, this judgmental part that keeps the ego in place. And what Buddhism is about is not about keeping the ego place. It's about seeing that the ego becomes a launching pad for seeing the depth and beauty and magic of who and what we are, which is simply called our Buddha nature or, or our true nature or our heart. And our heart, and that's a big heart. It's not just the little physical heart. And so... It's a really important part of practice. And I know for me personally, it's been a great part of practice to learn how to work with the superego or the judging mind. And of course, this superego um, is, is inherited through the commands or guidelines or injunctions or rules or admonitions and punishments from the parents, from our parents or our parental figures, whoever they might be, and also from our siblings that we get at times, or other relatives, grandparents or aunts, uncles, or teachers as we begin to go out in the world, especially when we're children, because we're learning how to function as human beings in a collective way. And we need some guidance, and that's what they're trying to do. But also, we are so impressionable. Our psyche, our consciousness is so impressionable at those young age that we take it in very deeply, and then we kind of do a young person's version of it, and it becomes internal judgment. Because parents are happy if you do what they want. Teachers are happy if you do what they want. And so we start to judge ourselves. We're bad if we don't do what is wanted, is what's commanded, is what the injunction is, what the rule is, what the admonition is. Then there's something wrong with us. And that's a mistaken understanding of what's being attempted because what's being attempted is to help the young human being become part of the world, really.
And so it's a certain stage of development to get a superego or the judging mind, but it's not the end. And it will limit our potential if we keep living with it as if it's true. I'm gonna see if I can get a little more light here in the room. How's that? Is that any better? Yeah, okay, I got a couple thumbs up. Good enough. It's tricky because for some reason my glasses darken. I mean, they're, they're supposed to darken when I'm outside, but not when I'm inside. So anyhow, um, so what I was saying was that the superego, the judging mind, limits the potential for us to discover who and what we are. And uh, this is from one of my teachers where I really learned about this superego from Hamid Ali. And really when I joined his work and teaching, we did about six months working on the superego to start. And it was great because it changed my life. It was very freeing, which doesn't mean I'm done with the superego, but it's not as potent as it used to be. And so uh, Hamid says, from our perspective, the superego is the inner coercive agency that stands against the expansion of awareness and inner development, regardless of how mild or reasonable it becomes. Just that, like that's a great line. That's a great teaching from Hamid. He says, the superego is the inner coercive agency that stands against the expansion of awareness and inner development, regardless of how mild or reasonable it becomes. Like reasonable doesn't allow it to be good. It, it can sound, the superego is so creative, it can sound so reasonable that you believe it, but it's still not true. I'll say more later about that. He goes on to say, it is a substitute and a cruel one for direct perception and knowledge, right? A substitute and a cruel one for direct perception and knowledge. Inner development requires that in time, there be no internal coercive agencies. There will be instead inner regulation based on objective perception, understanding, and love. Beautiful teaching, just that. And and watch what your mind and heart does with this, because it's easy to, what the superego will do, do is come in and say, you can't get rid of the superego. You'll never get it. Oh, why, do, why even go there? You know, you're, you're always gonna be judging yourself, because that's what the superego does. It works, it can work insensitively, insensibly, I'm not getting the word, I want to say constantly. Um, it works constantly to keep itself in place. <clears throat> and so what happens is the superego, the judgment, gets conflated with a certain kind of discernment and evaluation that then turns into a negative judgment of ourselves or of other people. 
because we want to see what's true. We want to be aware of what's true. That's how That's how all practice works. You can't wake up without seeing the truth. I believe in Christianity, they say the truth will set you free, and it's true. That's a really beautiful understanding. And we need to be able to see the truth without attacking ourselves, judging ourselves, being mean to ourselves, hard on ourselves, right? And of course, people do this in meditation all the time. They judge their meditation. How many people had a bad meditation on, the, on this meditation, right? Ra raise your hand. See, now I'm looking. I'm expecting you to raise your hand, right? Because often we think, oh, yeah, that was a bad meditation. Or, and I used to think this for sure when I was young. I used to think, oh, it, it was bad or it wasn't good enough, right? Okay. It could be better, right? It's also, you're right, always, there's always, it can always be better. And, and yeah. Uh, or we think, I can't do this, really. Oh, I can't do this meditation. I'm going to go somewhere else, do something else. And, or, or the judgment comes in, I'm bad at this, right? I used to be good at this, but now I'm bad at it. Or I used to enjoy this, but now I'm, I can't do it anymore. And what's beautiful is, what's beautiful from my perspective is, you can't have a bad meditation, actually. All the, all the, what's bad is one's mind's belief that it's bad. It's not bad. It's whatever it is. It may be enjoyable, it may be pleasant, it may be uh, illuminating, or it may be difficult, or it may be boring, or it may be whatever, but it's not bad. It's, it has a different components and affect, and we can discern different qualities that are more skillful and less skillful, but even unskillful is not bad. And again, in my own experience, uh, it's been great to know I can't have a bad meditation because then I can sit with anything because it doesn't have to be good. It's just what it is. It's a meditation. And the meditation is inherently good in Eugene's opinion, right? And Eugene's, you know, I've said this before, you know, when, that when after I had my big bike accident, I came back, I didn't know how to meditate, I couldn't meditate. I remembered that you sit on the cushion. That was all I had left in my mind. But I didn't know how to meditate. I sat down and I didn't know how to meditate. And I just sat there and then I got up. And I, hadn't, I couldn't tell you anything that happened that was meditative, but, but intuitively I knew it was good. And I've always felt that ever since. What, just to be here is good. And especially to meditate, there's something good. And I don't, I don't even know what it is, even though I know a lot of good things I can say. It's still good. So, and then, of course, in the Buddhist tradition, Buddha, the, the, the great example of the judging mind is Mara. And Mara is the counterpart of Buddha in the, in the mythology of Buddhism. And so there's always, there's Buddha and then you have Mara and it's like, you know, God and the devil or something like that, that kind of mythology. And, they're, and they go together because they need one another, right? You can't, 
mythologically, you can't quite have one without the other. And so when Buddha's trying to awaken, he gets attacked by what's called the armies of Mara. And Mara attacks him in all these different forms and all these ways and throws things at him and tempts him with the daughters of Mara who are trying to seduce him. And all these things happen. And then finally, and nothing works. And the Buddha just stays in his seat. And at some point, Mara comes up and he says, and this is the penultimate moment before awakening, and says, what right do you have to get awakened? Right? And of course, that's the judging mind. What right do you have? Who do you think you are? You know, you, you, this isn't, you're not okay to do this. You're not, you're not the right one. It's supposed to be somebody else, right? It's, it's a Mara comes as a judging mind. And the Buddha has such a beautiful response. He touches the earth. And it's something we could all feel right now, wherever we're sitting, even whatever floor you might be in your flat, apartment, house, you know, or outside, right? We're all sitting on the earth. And you can touch the earth that acknowledges and supports your right simply to be. And that's all Buddha did is he touched the earth when Mara, the judging mind, attacked him so that he could just be and be himself. And then mythologically, he awakens after that. Of course, this is an important piece to say in the mythology of Buddhism and in the realness of being human, is Buddha gets totally, completely, absolutely enlightened, right? And Mara keeps coming after he gets enlightened. So I always think that's great because Mara doesn't stop. Mara is very persistent. Mara is very consistent. <laughs> Mara, Mara knows Mara's role. And, and so Mara comes to all of us, even after we taste freedom or, or things open up and we feel like, oh, this is who and what I am. And then still the self-judgment can come way more subtly way more subtly. And of course, it comes in so many different forms. It comes in, in judgment about oneself in terms of relationship, whether you're single or whether you're with other people. You know, even now, like in coronavirus, some of us are living alone. And that's a really hard thing because there's not a lot of, right? This is contact, right? But, uh, and so there can easily come the judging mind, oh, if only I was better, then I would have been with someone. If I would have done the right thing, then I would have had a partner or something like that. And it's, you know, there may have been things you might have done, but the judgment is not true. The attack is not true. The harshness is not true. We wanted, we keep, we're all learning how to be human. And nobody I know is done right? Nobody I know is done learning how to become a human being. And so, you know, and in my own life, my, my marriage with Pam, I see, you know, the relationship and the judging goes both ways, right? Like we judge ourselves and we judge each other. And of course, it's always her fault, right? That's the judgment even though she doesn't agree with me, which I'm like, can't understand. We've been married, you know, 
28 years or something, then she'd get it. Like, you know, but it's just my judging mind. And of course, then there's my judgment when often it's, I see it when she's unhappy. Okay, what did I do wrong? And oh yeah, I'm such an idiot. Why didn't I do this? I could have done that. And of course, all that's needed is if I did do something inappropriate that caused her sorrow or didn't support her well-being, all I need to do is apologize and say something and be real with her. But I don't need to judge myself as being bad or stupid or something like that. And of course, in our work, we all have a lot of judgment right? Because we're trying to do it well or good. And of course, being a teacher is, it's a great opportunity because I'm not the only one judging me, right? I have like right now these 75 beautiful people who sometimes judge me, right? They think, oh, Eugene's great. He's wonderful. He's good. And, or, or they're saying, what's wrong with Eugene tonight? He's just like an idiot or you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. What's he saying that for? He's, doesn't he, isn't he woken up at all? Or, you know, and it's very interesting because especially when we're more in person and sometimes people aren't afraid to be very direct with me about that. <laughs> and it's really, it's actually a great, um, uh, personally, it's really great to see, to not take judgment personally. Whatever somebody thinks, good or bad, they may have some uh, clear assessment of what I'm saying is skillful or unskillful, but that, that I'm good or bad because of what I'm saying, I don't have to take that on. It's just I'm doing the best I can. I know that, and I hope you all know that. And, and what else could I do except do the best I can? And so, you know, and of course I could, yeah, and so, and I was thinking about this and about myself also as being in the arts. And there are a lot of artists in my family, which is a totally strange thing, given that I came from a family of, uh, of uh, poor people, really. And, uh, you know, the, the big upgrade in my family was my dad ended up having a little family grocery store. But nobody was in the arts at all right? And my dad never finished high school. My mom finished high school and that was it. And then she was a mom. And in the days, in the old days when being a mom meant you stayed home and that's what you did. You took care of children, which is its own art, of course. But, uh, but I got very involved in the arts and became, uh, did theater and street theater and then music for many, many years. And, uh, and uh, it was great because I loved music. That's why I, I got into it. I loved music. And, uh, and it was great to learn how to play an instrument and play and perform and devote myself totally to it. But I wasn't, I wasn't so good as a musician. I was good enough. But I had so much self-judgment about not being better, you know, not being something that I wasn't. You know, and of course, some people heard me play and couldn't believe what I was playing because I played a lot of really out there improvised music, very creative. And uh, but I, but it was never good enough for my judging mind. 
right? Never good enough for my judgment mind. And even being nervous, I remember being, uh, hating being nervous because it's hard to play the flute when you're nervous, right? Because it's just your breath. And, I, and at some point later, after I'd been playing for a number of years, I was studying with a classical musician, somebody from the San Francisco Symphony to try to learn really how to play better. And he was so kind because I, he said, what gets in the way of you playing well? I said, I get nervous. And he was like, oh, that's not a problem. He said, if you don't get nervous, you're dead. He really, that's what he said. And he, this is a symphony guy. He said, I get nervous every time I perform. And he said, but what I know how to do is take that energy and put it into the music. And that was really wise right? Because that's what you want to do. You don't want to just believe, oh, I'm bad, or I won't do it right, or I'll be horrible. You just want to feel the nervousness, which is an energetic aliveness, and live with it and play with it. And I was talking with my brother yesterday. I told him I was going to talk about the judging mind, and I said I was going to use him as an example also. So I wanted his permission that I could, because he's been an, art, an artist my whole life. I mean, even as a boy, he was always making things. And mostly it was first, it was around crafts and stuff. He would make airplanes out of balsa wood and then fly them and things like that. And, all kinds of creative stuff. And then he, he, uh, you know, he was like a beatnik and in, in New York and became an artist and, and then even became a really successful artist in New York. I remember he had a big show and we all had to go to his show cause it was like the real thing at a big gallery. And my parents went, and yeah, it was, it was really something. And, uh, and, uh, it was so, uh, it was such a big deal. I remember my dad cried at his show, right? He cried because of the prices of my brother's work, which was a lot, you know, for us. And my dad couldn't believe how much each piece cost. He, you know, and he said, and he said something like some of those pieces, I never made that much in a year, you know, and, and, you know, and, of course, my brother didn't get all of that. The people who own the gallery get half of that or more, whatever they get. But, and my brother didn't sell all of it. But what's been interesting to watch over his life is he, all, he hasn't always been successful. He was really successful, and then he changed his style. And no, they wanted what he used to make, but that wasn't what he cared about. That wasn't what he loved. And so he kept following his heart, even when it, when it took him up and also when it took him down. Because if people don't want your work, you're not making any money as an artist, right? It's, and, you know, and, it, and so, it, so we were talking about his self-judgment that would come, like he's a bad person because his art's not any good anymore. But, but none of that has to do with his value as a person and what he loved. Because what he loved, he kept doing, he kept making art, and he kept putting it out in the world. Too bad, I thought, oh, I should, I have one little piece of his here. Hold on, I'll show you one little.
being creative with the Dharma talk right now because I didn't plan to do this. This is a little piece of my brother's work. And this is metal and paint. And I like it very much, partly because I like red and black very much, and I like the dynamism of it. And I tried to get him to make me a big version. I wanted a big version of that. He was like, no. And I was going to pay him. And I said, what do you mean, no? He said, I don't, I'm not, I don't reproduce things. I'm an artist, right? And so he just follows his heart and makes what he, he said, I'll make you something else, but not that. I made that. That's already done. And, and so what I'm pointing at here is it's very easy to be judgmental of oneself depending on how the world responds to you, especially if you're an artist like my brother. And it's very easy to believe the judgment that comes from outside because you're trying to do good work. And even if you're doing good work, it doesn't mean people will like it. As, uh, as Oscar Wilde said, he said, it is not the perfect, but the imperfect that is in need of our love, right? Because nobody's a perfect artist. Nobody's a perfect anything. Right? So I'm glad you're all in the club with me of being imperfect. Right? And so, as he said, it is not the perfect, but the imperfect that is in need of our love. So the question becomes, how do we use our intelligence and our heartfulness and our creativity to deal with life and to be here and to be kind to ourselves and to be kind to others? And especially in coronavirus, it's uh, a lot of people are judgmental. If they're sick, people easily judge themselves like it's their fault. And this is a pandemic that is going everywhere, and nobody knows how to stop it. Nobody knows. And we're all doing the best we can. And please keep giving yourself to doing the best you can, washing your hands, you know, and staying six feet apart and, you know, all the things that are, all the guidance that's being offered. But if you get sick, don't add what's called the second arrow in Buddhism and be mean to yourself, harsh with yourself, judgmental of yourself. If you get sick, we're not in control of reality. Coronavirus or any other illness that you might get. And of course, many people who are okay, and we live in a little bubble here in, in, in the Bay Area because it's not so bad as far as I can tell. And, uh, and uh, you know, when I look at what's going on in other parts of the country and the world, it's horrific what's going on. And so some people feel are judgmental. I've, they judge themselves because they're having a good time or they're enjoying themselves, or they feel happy. And that's also a form of self-judgment. You don't need, you can feel happy. You don't have to feel bad because of coronavirus. One, does, one wants to see what can one do if one's heart is touched by the suffering that's in the world. But one can also have a good time, even staying six feet apart. I, I went and 
I live near the park and I went out to take a walk yesterday morning. Uh, I can't remember if it was yesterday morning or this morning. I think yesterday morning. And because uh, I'm out there a few times a day. And uh, I walk out and I see these people staring my way. And I'm coming from the one street and into the park and they're looking my way. And I see a couple and I'm looking behind me to see, oh, maybe there's a coyote behind me because we have coyotes here. And, um, or there's something going on and I keep looking and then I get closer to them and all of a sudden I see, oh, I know them. They're, they're good friends of mine, you know, but I haven't seen them at all because they live in North Beach and I'm over here. And, and so we stopped and we walked six feet apart for a while. I was going the other direction, but, but, um, but just the joy of seeing them and the happiness and the love of, of being with them for a few minutes. It's like, that's fun. I don't have to feel bad that I'm enjoying myself because there's illness in the world, because there's suffering in the world. What we want to do is let the goodness that's here, the joy that's here, the pleasure that's here, let that radiate in the world so that we can start to infuse the world with that kind of delight or joy. And of of course, we want to say, what can we do to help the difficulty in whatever form in these days, coronavirus? How can I help? How can I help take care of others? And so a few things about what frees us from the judging mind. In, Buddha, in the Buddhist tradition, in the, in the mythology, like I said, even after the Buddha's awakening, Mara keeps coming and, and yelling at him. And he does one thing. He says, I see you, Mara. I see you, Mara. It's, it's really just seeing the judgment and not buying into it, not believing it, not giving it room to land. Right, And that's very important because the judgment, the self-judgment is not true. It's not true. Judgment is different than discernment. If we discern we made a mistake, that's good. But if we think we're a bad person because we made a mistake, you might as well leave the planet now because you're going to make more mistakes if you're like me. It's just part of the deal. And so watch out for how the judging mind gloms on to discernment and truth and the truth of making a mistake or not knowing how to do something well or right or properly sometimes. <clears throat> so being mindful of the judging mind, getting, keep getting and keep remembering it's not true, even though we often believe it, uh, uh, instinctually we feel like it's true it's still not true it's we get cathected to it there's an energetic connection that we can't often just cut but in fact it's still not true even though that energetic connection feels like it's true um, remembering that the shoulds are not true. I should have done this, or I should have done that, or I should have done, if I would have done this, then it wouldn't have happened. We don't know what would have happened. All we know is we might have some, we might be bereft or unhappy or sad about something that happened. We might be fearful about something that happened, but 
the judgment is extra. The judgment is extra. And keep recognizing that who and what we are is more fundamental than the judgment and what's, because what's being judged is unjudgeable, really. It's also good to have a sense of humor with the judging mind. So see it, to, uh, to remember that it's not true, to cut it if you need to, fiercely at times, because it's using our own uh, instinctual energy against us, right? It's saying, oh yeah, you're an asshole. That's a kind of aggressive energy. Don't let it do that. Use the aggressive energy against the judgment sometimes. See what happens. Say, get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck away from me. And, and, and feel the fierceness, because the fierceness has this Vajra energy, sword-like energy, that can help cut the cathexis with the judgment. And of course, humor is really good. I mean, really good. Sometimes when I was doing a lot of long meditation retreats, I would watch it get more and more subtle, the judgment, more and more and more subtle. And it would get so subtle, I'd be sitting there, and the, and the judgment will be, oh, you're not doing it right. I don't know if you can hear me. I'm kind of whispering that, but you're not doing it right. Oh, if you need to do this, if you'll get there if you do this. And it's just judgment, but it's more and more subtle, more refined judgment. And, and it's not true. And so just, and so I, so I would joke with myself. I would say, oh, you're right. I'll never get here. I got your message, go talk to somebody else, right? As a way to get rid of the judgment. And then here's a story that I saw, um, this was in Tricycle Magazine, a woman named Christine Cox. She said her friend once placed a Groucho Marx mask in a hotel room where the Dalai Lama would be staying during a visit to an Ivy League university. Right, so you know, everybody know Groucho Marx, right? And, and and that look. So so he had a, so he put a Groucho Marx mask in the Dalai Lama's room. It was a gesture of bravado and karmic abandon because really, who could gauge the terrestrial and spiritual consequences of such an act? So imagine this: a small cascade of university bureaucrats arrayed in the Dalai Lama's suite waiting for the guests to appear. They sit erect in armchairs designed for slouching. Minutes pass and then a door flings open. Unaccountably, Groucho Marx, wearing long maroon robes and serious laced up shoes, emerges chuckling loudly, right? Laughing so hard that tears come to his bespeckled eyes. How do, and so if you know the Dalai Lama, if you've met him, you know, oh yeah, he could do this like that. He's not, he knows how to have some fun. And, he, and he's somebody who's dealt with so much trauma and heartache and dukkha in his life. And he never stops laughing, although he cries also as easily as he laughs. And so... So he comes in where, you know, Groucho Marx wearing long maroon robes and serious laced up shoes. And he's laughing so hard that tears come to his eyes. 
How do people react when a dignitary, especially of the spirit of the spiritual kind, does something so well undignified? Intrigued, I called up the university official in charge of the visits. She's someone who routinely meets with accomplished and famous and presidential people, and she clearly is not a woman easily impressed. How did she feel, I asked, at the Groucho moment? At first, she tells me she didn't know how to react, but then she and everybody started to laugh at the wonderful absurdity of the situation, laughed with an incaution and uncharacteristic of people in their position. And the article goes on to say, the Dalai Lama didn't care about maintaining him his image. He saw a chance for fun, for deflating others' expectations, and he took it. And he just somehow knew whom to thank. He wagged his finger at my friend. He took off his mask, still laughing. And she ended the article. She says, even he needs a little groucho in his life. And it's a beautiful understanding of what it means to be free. It doesn't mean there's not difficulty and there's not concern and there's not heartache, but we're here and we're here right now. And we can take a moment to enjoy ourselves or play or laugh at the dukkha of reality. And of course, the judgment is not helpful. That's the key piece I hope everybody gets. Uh, Nelson Mandela said it in a different way. He said, do not judge me by my successes. Do not judge me by my successes. Judge me by how many times I fell down and got back up. And it's a beautiful understanding of, of course, we're going to fall down. And getting back up is what's beautiful about us as human beings. So then I'll say one last thing, oh, two last things. Um, this is just a little Buddhist add-on from the Shinshin Ming, beautiful teaching from Zen. They have this line in there, they say, realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. Realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. So it's part of what's nice about being in the non-perfectionist club is we can wake up and not have to be anxious about any of it. And okay, I think I'm gonna stop there. So we have some time for comments, questions, reactions you like. If you go to the participants uh, thing, you can raise your hand there. There's a, something, and then when your hand comes up, I can see it and call on you. And I always love to hear your thoughts, your feelings. You liked it, you didn't like, you judged me, you didn't judge me, it's all, all good. And we don't have a lot of time because I went longer than usual, but so please, I, I always feel like so much more happens when your voices come into the room. And especially I always like to encourage people who haven't spoken before 
doesn't mean if you have spoken before you can't, you can, but, but I always like to encourage people who are shy. Okay, Kay Temple. You on, Kay? Hi. Hi, wait, I'm gonna put you in speaker view so I can see you. Can you hear me? Oh yeah, but I can't see you. Well, that's by design. <laughs> uh, come on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, come on, give us a little. Yeah, how to do it? Give us um, just undo um, the the stop video in your bottom left hand corner of the Zoom. You want to unclick might be able that. to see me now. I'm not sure. Oh no. Um, okay, so my question is. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there you are. <laughs> Thank you. I don't usually speak up. I'm being brave. Well, thank you for um, being brave. I was wondering if you would reread the quote, the first quote you read by your teacher about what the superego is. About what the what? About what the superego is and yeah, how it sure, interacts sure, sure. with the ego. I had a hard time letting that into my mind, and I okay. think there's something powerful there that my superego wouldn't let me hear. <laughs> okay, here. So this is from Hamid. He said, the superego is the inner coercive agency that stands against the expansion of awareness and inner development. Okay, got that? Yes. And, and he says, regardless of how mild or reasonable it becomes. So he's really pointing to, oh, it's not okay even when it's whispering in my ear when I'm sitting in a long meditation retreat saying, oh, you could do a little better. You know, it's not even, doesn't sound harsh, but it's still getting in the way of simply being present and being able to be here with what's here, mm -hmm. right? And he says, it's a substitute and a cruel one for direct perception and knowledge, right? Inner development requires in time, there be no internal coercive agencies. There will be instead inner regulation based on objective perception seeing, now I'm going to comment, seeing clearly, understanding, which is what Buddhism is about, understanding, Buddha said that many times as a metaphor for awakening, and love, which is the opening of the heart. Is that clear? Yes, okay. yes, <laughs> sinking in, yeah. Okay. Thank and you very much, I appreciate you're, it. <laughs> you're welcome, thanks for speaking up, good to have you here. <laughs> Okay. Who else? There we go. Don. Hey, Eugene. Hey, Don. Oh, you're, you're in the foreground these days. Yeah. <laughs> Your encouragement. Thank you. Good. Um, just the one thing I was thinking about your talk, which I, I, I really enjoyed, was the pervasiveness, at least with me, about the amount of judgment and self-doubt that goes on. It is really yep. uh, something that just, it's uh, uh, almost, uh, uh, I'm surprised, almost, a, I don't want to say a constant companion, but it just really is something that is just so pervasive. And it just, I notice how it sucks so much joy out of life just because you're so busily being down on yourself. So that was just my little comment there. Good. Thank you for putting that in the room. It's, it is. It's kind of amazing how pervasive it is. And it's not the same in all cultures. It's, it's definitely um, high grade in the United States of America and a lot of Western cultures. 
there's other, other cultures have their own problems, but it's not this kind of ego egoistic uh, judgment that we have of ourselves, this super ego. And the good thing to remember is it's not true. Yeah. And see what happens if you go through one day, just being, all you have to do is be aware of it and just see, oh, that's not true. And see what's here if you're not cathected or identified with the superego in that moment. Yeah. Okay. So you can play with it that way. I will. Thank okay. you. Great. Thank you. Karen. Hi. Hi. Um, this is this is a timely talk. Um, and I appreciated Kay asking you to read the quote again because mm -hmm. what struck me about that was I guess I was wondering, and maybe it doesn't matter, but I was wondering, I guess what is it what is in it for the superego to to stop um that the you know to go against the creative agency and development that that's what struck me about it this idea that the superego would have a reason i don't think it has a reason i don't think it has no but it, yeah. no it's a habit of heart and mind mm. it's in the psyche and it had its function right like in the circles to keep the ego in place and even mm -hmm. still most of us think we're not okay if the ego relaxes, right? Because awakening is talking about um, uh, being free and even free of the ego. The ego has its functionality, but it's not the essence of who and what we are. Right. And you know what I could do? I could send the quote to everybody. I think I figured out enough about... Um, about Zoom that I could do this. I could give it a try if you would like the quote. Yeah. You gotta say it's, yes or no. You, yes, yeah, oh, okay. I, mean, I, I would definitely, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Cause it's, there's just, I don't know, it was very striking and I guess it made me angry, which is good. Yeah, no, that's really good. The anger is one of the ways to cut the cathexis with the superego. Because right. it's using our own aggressive energy against us. Yeah. And by aggressive, I don't mean bad. It's, it's a certain kind of aggressive libidinal energy. It's, it's charged. It's our part of our life force. It's instinctual energy. That's maybe the best way to say it. Okay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Let me, let me see if I can do the... Uh, uh, I'm going to try to put the thing in. To, to all of you.
I'm not sure how to do it. Yeah, thank you, Elise. Um, uh, how do I send the chat to everybody? Oh, here it is. I got it. Yep, to everybody. Here we go. Oh, I love it. There it goes. <laughs> Great. Uh, really, thank you for the applause. I appreciate that. <laughs> okay, uh, let me see who else hand up. Alice, Al Alicia. All right. There you go. Hi. Hi. So I've been thinking about you said at the beginning the ego is a con is a thing or a cons construct that's yeah helpful it's yeah. normal and then the super ego on top right um, you don't have to believe it is the super like i've been thinking oh the super ego is bad it needs to go away it, it's bad it just is and you just don't believe it is that well, you well it i don't know if it has to go away but it's not it's good when you're a child because you're forming the ego, right? The ego's being formed and you want some consistency. You want to have a consistent ego identity. And that's an important thing for development at a certain point of life. But it doesn't, it's not the same, we're not at the same point of life. And so part of what uh, spirituality is asking us for is to have an ego and to also let go of the ego. And the superego is not about letting go of the ego. It's about keeping the ego in place. Because? Because that's its function. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I have a better answer than that for you, but you know what I mean? Like that's what it's, that's, it's just like the id is in place, right? The instinctual energies, because? because they're there. And does the superego have any helpful function? Uh, at this point, no. Oh. Not that as, I can tell. As a mature adult, once you know who, who you are in the world. Right, and, and you want to use your intelligence and your, um, your discernment and your kindness to navigate the world appropriately. And so if you don't know how to do something, you could ask. I mean, I ask, like even this, I ask so many people about how to do Zoom because I don't know how to do it, but I don't need to think that I'm a bad person because I don't know how to do Zoom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay, Susanna, where'd you go? You were there, Suzanne, you're gone. You're gonna call, oh, there you are. Hi. Hi. Hi, good to see you. Um, I am a little stuck in the, so you talking about like the judging mind, which is a, a thing that I, I work with a lot as you know, kind of, mm -hmm. um, and grew up as a performer. So there's so much of that perfectionism. Totally. And it's, it's so, ingrained in me is like it feels so much part of me you know right. that um i can get the like the sword voice out 
and mm -hmm. I kind of just get stuck there. Like I, I can say it and I can catch it and I'm like, but did anything happen? Well, what, what? Like when I hear the judgment come up, I can, yeah. I can like, I can get in and be like, and know that it's not true. Mm -hmm. And maybe even say some fierce weird words of just like, fuck off. I don't need to yeah. hear that. It's not yeah. true. Uh -huh. And I just kind of feel a little bit stuck of like, I don't know. Do I buy that? Did that really, did it work? Right. Like I'm waiting for something right. else to happen next. And I'm, I'm yeah. Okay. So I'm going to give you a couple options. Okay. No, I will give, give, make sure the, the, the voice you use to say fuck off is a, like a for real fuck off. Like if somebody's behind you in the grocery store and try to grab your shoulder, you would just go like this, right? You go, boom, get the fuck away from me. And you're not kidding, right? Do the same thing with the superego or the judging mind. See what happens. Like let, the, let, the, let your Vajra energy come alive in you. And I know you well enough, you have some Vajra energy. Don't, don't be nice. Nice doesn't work with the superego. Rational doesn't work so well. Sometimes it can work to see it. But the superego will just do something else always. You, you want to you reclaim that energy because it's your energy, mm. right? The, the aggressive, harsh energy. That's, fuck that shit and, and see what happens. And, or that's one option. Um, Pretend that it, that voice was coming to somebody else who you loved. Oh. Right? If that voice was coming to, you know, uh, a little girl you love or a colleague that you loved and you know how good they are, right? How would you react? Yeah. Okay. Does that make sense? So I'm pointing at letting something about your Vajra energy come out and come alive to respond to the superego. And this is like a, this is what I call fierce compassion. It's not just Walt Disney compassion. And can you, what's that, what's the word Vajra? Can you spell it for Vajra, me? V-A-J-R-A, Vajra. It's a Tibetan word, and it mean, but it also is used in other traditions. It's sword-like. Yeah. That's yeah. what it's pointing at. And it's sword-like because it's, it's like that kind of steel that can cut through anything. Yeah, it's a great and, word. Yeah, and we want access to that energy because it's right here, and I'm pointing at me, but I'm pointing at you. Yeah. Okay? Well, thank you. Sure. Thank you couple more people. Josh Alexander is an old friend. Where are you, Josh? Josh? I can't hear you, Josh. I unmuted you, Josh. Your hand is up. Oh. I thought I saw you on the screen before, so let me do the whole screen. Oh. Oh. 
Maybe I'll go somewhere else if we can't get you, Josh. Nope, I don't see you either. Okay, bye, Josh. Um, Alice. Okay, Alice. I'm not getting anybody now. Can you hear me, everybody? Yeah. Yeah, okay. How about Alice? No, excuse me, Anne. I'm at Anne. Okay. okay. Hi. Where, where I am. I'm here. Oh, let me go, go to speak. Oh, yeah, great. Hi, Anne. Hi. Yeah, I've never spoken before, but here I am. And, great. Um, Thank you. Um, it's, this is more along the lines of what Suzanne was just talking about. Um, uh, it, it was like, yeah, that's, uh, I was going to ask this question. And it's about, you know, uh, I'm a performer as well, a dancer for many years. And, and the thing is, there's a certain, like, I was trained to learn humility, that there's a certain kind of thing that, that there's an acceptance of being open to the teacher with their criticisms and with other people you trust. When you learn to, and for years and years of doing and practicing this, uh, you, you know, you don't listen to everybody, you listen to people you trust. Okay, mm -hmm. so given that, when one has to internalize their own critic to judge their own work, um, it, this is where I get in trouble. And okay, but wait, wait, wait. I'm going to just, I want to clarify one thing. You yeah. don't have to internalize your own critic to discern your work. You want to discern your work. You want to see, am I doing this right? Am I doing this well? Am I getting it? Do I, yeah. Can I feel the dance coming through me, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, but in terms of you need to cultivate and develop an outside eye as mm -hmm. though you were seeing it. And yes. so you can use videotape for that. But I did mean more of a discernment, but the discernment turns into criticism harshly. Right. It does. And, and yeah. it's a very subtle shift that I don't always see. And when I do see, I'm kind of stuck in it. I'm really, really stuck in it. Right. And it's interesting because I don't feel that way about myself as a person. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I'm a bad person. I feel very confident when I'm in the world socially. But as soon as I put myself on the line, like as an artist, mm -hmm. then it's suddenly like I'm vulnerable to those criticisms. Well, yeah. you're vulnerable, but, you're, but watch out for believing the criticism. Right. You're vulnerable because you're putting your heart out there. Yeah. In my opinion, if you're in the arts, you people don't do art. You know, you're doing it because you love it, right. and it's who you are. Right. And so that beautiful heartfulness that you're putting out in whatever form, whether you're a painter or a dancer or a singer or an actor or a musician or whatever it might be. Yeah. That's beautiful. It's a beautiful expression of true nature, in my opinion. And the world needs the arts. It needs the arts. It definitely does. Right? And so, and the discernment you're talking about is important, and the criticism sucks. 
right? The harshness that I'm there saying. There is such a thing as good criticism, though. No, of course. Well, but that's not, that's not an attack. That's not a, a judgment. It's like, oh, no, this, you've got to put your foot here. If you try this, if you put your foot here, see what happens. It's not yeah. just, oh, you're an idiot. You, you put your foot in the wrong place. Yeah. Yeah, all I know is I get in trouble a lot with that. And I'm, you know, a lot, I'm pretty old and I still go through that. I still right. have that, that critical, like, don't believe what, don't believe what people say to you. Like, if they like it, don't trust their, they like you. They like you and they don't really like the work. They, yeah. they like you. Yeah, and that's, that's that, whoa, 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 whoa. That's all judgment. You want to watch Yeah, 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 I know. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and see what happens if you spend one day and you don't believe the judgment. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's the last piece I'm going to say because people are leaving. It's, uh, we're, okay. We've gone way over. Um, here's, uh, here is my, my uh, homework for people. You could see what happens uh, if you don't judge yourself for one day, just one day. See what happens if you don't judge yourself. Um, uh, also reflect on what's right about judging yourself because there's some part of us that thinks there's something right about judging ourselves and we want to see that so we don't have to believe it. And then the third thing is, what's your experience like if you don't judge yourself? Even for 10 minutes. I'm going to I'm going to send it out to people. Uh -huh. And uh, let's see, the last one is, Okay, and then I want to send that to everybody. Okay, tell me where you judge yourself. What's right about judging yourself and what is your experience if you don't judge yourself? Okay. Okay, everybody. Um, does somebody want to say something about Donna? trip or somebody Jeff I don't know who's here from the board Elise you got to put up your hand so I can oh Josh you're back Josh I missed you Josh are you there we're here can you hear us yeah yeah I wanted to say hi come on Ed. I know thank these people answering my question dad <laughs> what's that I said, thank you for answering my question, Dad. <laughs> You're welcome. This is my daughter, I, and her husband, Josh. So, Hello, everyone. It's nice to sit with you all tonight. 
Eugene, thank you for that wonderful talk on yeah. the judging mind. It's really helpful. Great. Thank you. Happy great to, to be with you. Great to see you too. I didn't think I didn't know if you would put up your picture or not, and I saw you at some mm -hmm. point. It was like, oh shit, they're here. I better be good tonight. You know. I had the same uh, feeling. Why am I? We can let everyone else go. <laughs> <laughs> we can. We're, I'm going to talk to them later. Okay. <laughs> anyhow, good to see you. I'll call you. Okay, everybody. Uh, somebody do something. Nina, you're going to do something on Donna. Yeah. Great. Can you hear Hi, me? Nina. Hi. Yeah. Hi. You did a great job tonight, Eugene. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I'll see if I can give a little Donna instruction without judging myself. Please. Um, so just as a reminder that uh, we still greatly appreciate your generosity. And instead of the little yellow box now, um, you can go on our webpage and there's a donate uh, button or donate uh, uh, prompt that you click on the home page, and it will lead you to PayPal. And then uh, you can make your donation. And there's a very easy like scroll down that you can just uh, designate where you want it to go. So if you want it to go to Sunday night or um, just to SFI in general. And thank you very much for your generosity. Thank you all for your generosity. We'll just take a moment and uh, offer our well wishes to uh, everyone who's dealing with coronavirus, which is everybody in the world, sending our good wishes to everybody, those who are sick and ill and those who are the front line of relief, the healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, all the attendants, all the people dealing with all the equipment that needs to be created and delivered, all the people who are delivering food and keeping us uh, alive with their good work and good wishes. We sending them our heartfelt love and care and warmth. And may all beings in whatever situation in whatever circumstance, in whatever world, in this world or every world, may all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from the judging mind and any harshness that comes their way. And may all beings awaken and realize their truth, the truth of who and what they are, their true nature, Buddha nature. May all beings be free. Okay, everybody, thank you. Good to be with you. Uh, I think I'm here next week, so I'll see you here. Okay, take good care, everybody. Please be well. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.